Well, hey, welcome to First Church Live. If you're new, my name's Chad, and I'm so glad that you decided to join us for worship today. We have people here on site at North Garnett, as well as we have tons of people worshiping from all over the 918 and beyond. So if you guys here in person would, would you put your hands together? Welcome in our online family here today. So, so glad you guys are worshiping with us. Well, we're in a series right now called Catch the Wind. And the reason why we chose the title for this series is because over and over again in Scripture, we see God's Word comparing how God's Spirit works in this world to the wind. We see this illustration, this metaphor over and over again that God's Spirit works in our lives, works in this world like the wind. In fact, one of those occasions is found in John chapter 3 when Jesus is talking to a man named Nicodemus and he says in verse 8, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. See, the reason why we see this imagery pop up over and over again describing God's spirit like the wind is because wind is one of the few things in life that we know is both tangible and non-physical at the same time. I mean, you can't really touch it or grab it or hold it, but no one doubts its existence. We all know wind is there. Wind exists. We can see its influence. We can see its effects. We can see its power all around us. And that's how God's spirit works in this world. It's how God's spirit works in our lives. We really can't see the spirit and we can't touch him or anything like that, but we know that he's there. We can see his influence. We can see his power, the effect of his work all around us. And so what should be our relationship to God's spirit then, well, we need to catch the wind. It's kind of like that of a sailboat, and I used this illustration last week. A sailboat, if you will raise your sails and position them just right, you can catch the wind, and the wind will take your vessel, your boat, to a destination that you couldn't reach on your own. And that's the same way it is with our lives, same way it is with our church. When we allow God's Spirit to empower us, to lead us, then we will go to places where we can never go on our own. Paul words it like this. Paul says in Galatians 5.25, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In other words, just because you claim to live by the Spirit doesn't mean that you are. You've got to make the choice to keep in step, to stay in step with the Spirit. In other words, you need to move where God is moving. You need to go where He goes. You need to do what He would do, say what He would say, be where He is, keep in step with His Spirit. That's what we are called to do. And when we keep in step with God's Spirit, that's when God works in us in phenomenal, incredible, awesome ways. But here's the thing. Keeping in step with the Spirit, catching the wind, is not just important for our spiritual lives, it's essential. Look what Paul says in the book of Romans. Paul says in Romans 8, 14, the true children of God are those who let God's Spirit lead them. The true children of God, meaning a lot of people claim to be God's children, a lot of people claim to be part of His family, but the true children of God are those who led, again, it's our choice, let God's Spirit lead lead them. See, we will never reach our full potential in life. We will never reach and fulfill the design that God created us for unless we allow for God to lead us, unless we allow for His presence to lead us, direct us, empower us, guide us. And as a church, we will never reach our full ministry potential unless we are empowered by God's Spirit. Let me put it this way. We will only find our true identity and purpose when God empowers and propels our lives, just like a sailboat. 
Now, a sailboat isn't the only thing in life that needs wind for it to work properly. There are other things like a windmill, maybe a hot air balloon. And I was thinking this week about how a kite is like that as well. I would fly kites as a kid, and now I fly kites occasionally with my kids as well. But any time that I've ever flown a kite, I would always go buy one, or my parents would buy one for me when I was a kid from like Walmart or Target. We never like made our own homemade kites. I know people do that, like on Mary Poppins, you know, people do that. They make their own kites. We never did that, but I've heard that people do. So I challenged three of our staff members this week here at First Church to make their own kite from scratch. We gave them all the same amount of time, and we gave them the materials that they needed. And take a look at what happened. Go. Not left-handed scissors. Eight, no! seven, no! six, no! five, four, three, two, one. There we go. Honestly, I don't think there were any winners in that video. I mean, look at them. But anyway, you know, those kites didn't fly very well. And I think there were two reasons for that. One were the designers. No offense, but they tried hard. But they probably weren't the best crafted design kites in the world. But also there was another problem. There wasn't a lot of wind that day. I walked outside as they were trying to fly them, and Sierra, who's on staff, yelled at me, and she goes, there's no wind today. You picked the worst day possible. And I'm like, take that with our creative team. I didn't pick the day. They decided to film it on that day. But you know what? You could have the best design kite in the world, one that is well-made, well-crafted, well-designed, well-engineered, that looks good, it's eye-catching, it's pretty. You could have the best-made kite in the world. But if you don't have wind... A kite's not going to accomplish what it was intended to accomplish. Same is true for your life. Same is true for our church. See, in life, you can show up to church and sing the songs and take communion and go through the motions of religion, try not to fall asleep during the sermon, you know. You can go through the motions of a religion, but if your life is not empowered by God's Spirit, if you're not keeping in step with Him, you're never going to reach your full potential. Same is true for the life of our church, the ministry of our church. If our church has the best building and we meet budget and we've got the best strategic plans and all that good stuff, but if we're not empowered by God's Spirit, we're not keeping in step with Him, 
we will never reach our full ministry potential. We want to be a church that catches the wind. That's what it takes to really change the world. That's what it takes to make a difference. And we see this in the book of Acts. As we look at the early church, the church in its earliest days, the reason why the church in Acts was able to literally change the world as they knew it was because they were empowered by God's Spirit. It wasn't because they had the best strategic plan and they met their one-year and five-year and ten-year goals right on time. It wasn't because they had the most brilliant leaders in the world, because you look at those guys, they weren't. They were good godly men, but they weren't the most brilliant men on earth. It wasn't because they had unlimited resources. No, the reason why the early church literally influenced the entire Roman Empire, the entire world, was because they let God lead them. They followed God's truth, and they allowed for Him to be the driving force of their lives and their ministry. And here's the thing. Here's the question, I guess. Are we doing the same today? A.W. Tozer years ago wrote this, and I think it's an interesting question. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. But if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. Now, if that's true, and I think there may be some truth to that statement, it's a sad indictment on the church, sad evaluation of the church. Let me ask you, let me ask, if God's spirit was suddenly absent from your life, how long would it take for you or anyone else to notice. If God's spirit was suddenly, for some reason, absent from your life, would anyone notice? Would you even notice? Or would you just keep living as you've been living? Because the reason why we're in this series, Catch the Wind, isn't because we want to study the book of Acts and look back at the church in the first century and ooh and all at all the great things that God did back then and say, boy, that was really impressive. Way to go, God, back 2,000 years ago. No, we believe that God's spirit isn't on vacation. We believe that God is still present in this world and he wants to use his church to change the world. We believe we have a mission that he still wants to accomplish and the world needs us now more than ever because when the world is at its worst, it needs the church at its best. We have a mission to fulfill and we can do it because God's spirit is on our side. Look at what Paul writes in the book of Romans, Romans 8, verse 11. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Paul writes that to followers of Jesus, to the church. And I want you to catch what Paul says here. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. The same spirit that brought Jesus back from the grave the same spirit that had the power of resurrection that defeated the curse of death and sin, that same spirit is living in us. And then look at what Paul goes on to say after he talks about what that means. He then makes this conclusion, verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? You've probably heard that statement before. If God is for us, then who can be against us? It comes in the context of God's spirit dwelling within us. What Paul here is saying is Satan doesn't stand a chance against us. This world can't defeat us because the same spirit who brought Jesus back from the dead is living within you and me. The almighty God has decided to take up residence in us and because he is with us, we will be victorious. 
What an awesome promise that is. Guys, God isn't finished with his church. God isn't done with us. He, he isn't on vacation. He wants to use us to change the world. And I believe that the wind is blowing. The wind is blowing like never before. And God wants to move his church to action like never before. But here's the thing. The choice is ours. It's our choice whether or not to catch the wind. And we can at times be a little bit stubborn, can't we? And we can resist the wind. Whether it's our personal comforts, our biases, our prejudices, our assumptions, our self-serving pursuits, our opinions, our family traditions, our religious traditions, you name it. There are a lot of things that stand in the way of us going where God wants us to go. And this can happen to the best of us. It can even happen to leaders in the church and it happened to one of the most famous leaders in the New Testament church, the first century church, a guy named Peter. You've probably heard of Peter before. Peter was one of the original 12 disciples. Peter was actually one of Jesus' closest friends. He was part of his inner circle of disciples. Remember, it was Peter, James, and John who were the closest to Jesus. Peter's one of those guys. Peter got to spend three years at Jesus' side, watching him teach and do miracles. And then after Jesus rose from the dead, which Peter witnessed, Peter saw Jesus ascend into heaven. And Peter was the one who was able to preach the bulk of the first gospel message on the day of Pentecost. He was the one who first proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. How cool is that? And Peter was the one we talked about last week that was able to see God's spirit descend on Jesus' disciples in a unique and special way to where they were able to speak the gospel in different languages so that everyone could understand what they were saying. As there were people there in Jerusalem that day from all over the world, Jews from all over the world gathered, and everybody was able to hear about Jesus in their own native tongue. Peter witnessed all that. He saw all that. Peter was one who very early on caught the wind, and God used him in phenomenal ways. But as time went on, and God wanted to continue to push and drive and propel Peter even more so in his faith, Peter started to get a little hesitant, a little stubborn, you might even say. And we see a key example of that in Acts chapter 10. So if you have your Bibles, that's where we're going to study today is Acts chapter 10. That's where we're going to be camped out. But before we get there, let me set up the context. Way back in Acts chapter 1, we see that Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, tells this to his disciples. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus says, this is how my kingdom is going to work. You're going to go out and testify about me, tell people about me. It's going to start happening in Jerusalem, and that happened on the day the church began, the day of Pentecost. It's going to start in Jerusalem, that city, and then it's going to spread to Judea, then it's going to spread to Samaria, and then I'm going to send you out to the ends of the earth. And that's when all people everywhere, all people groups, all nations will hear about me. So that's what Jesus told them he wanted them to do. And yet, we go on several years in the early history of the church. You know what the church has done? They've stayed in Jerusalem. They haven't left the city limits. Oh, the church is growing and it's prospering and thousands and thousands of people are coming to know Jesus as Lord. But it's all centered at the city of Jerusalem. They haven't moved to Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth yet. And then Acts chapter 8 comes along, and a great persecution breaks out against the church, and it forces the Christians in Jerusalem to scatter. And so now they scatter to Judea and Samaria. 
but they still haven't gone to the ends of the earth yet. And what I want you to notice is Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, those are all areas with Jewish influence. Jerusalem being the capital city, Judea being the region where the Jews lived, and Samaria was the area where people lived who had intermarried, but they came from Jewish roots, and so they still had a Jewish background of sorts, knowing the one true God. What the church hasn't done, when we get to Acts chapter 10, is it hasn't gone out to the ends of the earth, it hasn't gone out to the Gentiles yet. See, if you're unfamiliar with this word Gentiles, this refers to all those who aren't Jews, all those who are outside of the Jewish family, outside of the Jewish nation. And if you were a first century Jew, an ancient Jew, you probably put an extra word on the end of this every time you said Gentile. When you referred to a Gentile, you called them a Gentile dog because Jews didn't like Gentiles. They were raised from almost the time of birth to not associate with Gentiles. Gentiles were off limits because they were outside of their faith, outside of their people, outside of their nation. And those were the people, the Gentiles were the people who didn't worship God, who didn't follow God. And so they lived by heathen and pagan practices and you didn't want anything to do with them because they were unclean people, untouchable people. You did not want to be around them. So Jews were told from their childhood, you don't associate with Gentiles, you don't eat with Gentiles, you don't spend time with them, you don't hang out with them, you don't even look at them if you don't have to. Stay away from them. And yet, Jesus says that the church is supposed to be reaching them. And I bet there were some members of the early church who were quite happy prior to Acts chapter 10 with the church not reaching out to Gentiles because that made them feel uncomfortable. They had never talked to Gentiles before, never been around them before. That was uncomfortable, and besides, those Gentile people, they don't know their God, and what if they reject God? And I'm sure they were quite fine with just keeping things comfortable. But God is getting ready to cause a cosmic, gigantic, gigantic paradigm shift that is going to bring the church where they never thought it would go. And it starts off with a guy named Cornelius, Cornelius is a Gentile, but not just any Gentile. He is an official in the Roman army. He's a centurion, meaning he is the commanding officer of about 100 men. And that means he's powerful, he's influential, he's probably got some money because centurions in this day normally made a pretty good living. And yet, for some reason, all that wasn't enough for Cornelius. The power, the fame, the authority, the money wasn't enough. There was something still missing within him, and he started to search out for what that something more was. And It's interesting, as I talk to people even in our culture today who have a lot of money and influence and power and all that stuff that everybody wants, when you talk to them, what they will tell you is it's not enough. You could never get enough to feel satisfied in your soul. And a lot of those individuals lay down at bed at night still knowing there's something missing, there's something isn't right. I think Cornelius knew this. And so he decided to reach out for that something more, and he ended up coming across the one true God, the God of the Jews. And so in Acts chapter 10, look at what it says in verse 2. It says, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God, that's capital G, God, the God of the Jewish people, the one true almighty God, Yahweh God, prayed to God regularly. So we're not sure how Cornelius and his family were introduced to God, but somehow they came across him and they set their hearts on him. 
They prayed to him, they worshiped him, they acknowledged him, and not only that, they even served him. They went out and they gave generously to the poor and those in need in his name. How cool is that? But even though they knew the one true God and they did good works for him, they didn't have a saving relationship with him. Because we all know that our good works are not enough to get us to God. Our good works cannot bring us into an intimate personal relationship with God because God is completely holy and our sin separates us from him. We are unworthy to have an intimate relationship with him, a saving relationship with him. And that's why all of us are in need of a savior because we're guilty of sin and we need somebody to pay the price of our sin. We need somebody to stand in our place to reunite us to God And that's why Jesus came. We are all in need of Jesus. We are all in need of a Savior. And Cornelius, even though he knew God and did good works for God, he needed a Savior. He needed someone to pay the price of his sin. He needed Jesus. And that's why God sends an angel in a vision, in a dream, to talk to this centurion named Cornelius. And look at what the angel says to him. Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because if you're somebody who likes to tan, you would want a house by the sea. That makes sense. That was a lame attempt at a joke. But bum. Okay, stick with me here. Dad joke, preacher joke. Anyway, they're, they're the worst. But what this angel says is, I want you, Cornelius, to send some of your men to go get this guy named Peter. He's staying in a city called Joppa. And I want you to bring him back because he's got something to tell you. So that's exactly what Cornelius does. He sends for Peter, but here's the thing. Cornelius isn't the only one getting a vision. As his men go to get Peter, retrieve him, and bring him back on this 30-mile journey back to Caesarea where Cornelius lived, Peter's also getting a vision. And look at what Acts tells us Peter saw. It says, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey, these are Cornelius' men, and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance and he saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made unclean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back up to heaven. Now, this may sound like a weird vision to us, and we may not get all the imagery, but I think Peter understood the imagery. Because, you see, it wasn't just that the Gentiles were considered unclean. There were other things in life considered unclean if you were a first-century Jew, and certain foods were considered unclean. There were certain types of food you could not eat. They had these dietary laws. One thing, for example, that you weren't allowed to eat, pigs, pork. So, by the way, if you like your bacon and your sausage, praise Jesus, okay, because he made those things clean for us. So I'm excited that we now get to eat those, okay? But Peter had never touched bacon, There were other things he had never eaten because he was a faithful Jew. And so he gets this vision of pigs in a blanket. Uh, There's another one. Okay. He gets this vision of pigs in a blanket. And the Lord says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter responds like this. 
Surely not, Lord. Literally in Greek, no, Lord. That's why some translations word it like this, no, Lord, I will not. Now, this is interesting to me. Peter feels the need to tell God that in order to be faithful to him, he's going to disobey what God is telling him to do. (laughs) Now, that doesn't make any sense that Peter feels the need to tell God, hey, God, in order to be faithful to you, I'm going to do the opposite of what you're telling me right now to do. doesn't make any sense. But that's what Peter said. Let me just ask you, have you ever told God no? Maybe not directly, but has there ever been something that you knew God wanted you to do and you just said, I'm not going to do it? Or maybe God told you not to do something and you did it anyway? You ever told God no? Because sometimes we can rationalize things in our human minds and think, hey, this is what I need to do and I'm going to go against God's will. And we tend to live like at times we know more than God. And that's why the Bible repeatedly warns us with warnings like this found in the book of Proverbs. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death. Guys, if you're living for yourself and not for what God wants you to do, you're headed down the path of destruction. See, part of catching the wind is acknowledging that God is God and I am not. It's trusting in him and saying, God, you are God and I am not and I'm gonna fully trust you even when it doesn't make sense, even when it makes me feel uncomfortable, even when it's outside the box. God, I am going to fully trust you because you are God and I am not. But here's the thing, like Peter, sometimes we can be a little thick-headed. And that's why the passage tells us that three different times God has to send Peter this vision because he doesn't want to accept it. He doesn't want to accept it as true. And God tells him this over and over again. He says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. See, what God is doing here is God is teaching Peter not just a lesson about food. He's also teaching Peter a lesson about people because God is saying, hey, in this new covenant age, I'm not saying this food is clean for you to eat, but there's also something else you already know. Jesus came to make everyone clean, not just the Jews, but everyone. And so do not call anyone unclean that Jesus came to make clean. Do not call anyone unclean that Jesus died for. And Peter needed to hear this. Because Peter, for some time, had been preaching this message, but he hadn't been living it. And way back in Acts chapter 2, when the church began, Peter is asked, you know, what does all this mean? And you remember how Peter responds in that sermon? He quotes from the prophets, and he says in Acts 2, 17, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, not just some people, not just a certain group of people, not just a select elite group of people, not just a certain nation, no, all people. He's been preaching this since the day of Pentecost. Not only that, he heard Jesus preach it before then. You jump back into Matthew chapter 28, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gives his disciples the great commission. And do you remember what Jesus said? Go and make disciples of all nations. That Greek phrase there is literally all people groups, meaning all tribes, all people, everywhere, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, the Holy Spirit. Jesus preached this message long before the church began. And then Peter preached it from the day the church began, and yet he's not living it yet. And sometimes we believe better than we live. 
We believe better than we live. We know it up here, but it doesn't translate into action like it should. It hasn't become real yet for Peter, but it's about to in a really powerful way. So as Peter's thinking about this vision, this dream that he got of pigs in a blanket, all of a sudden he gets a knock on his door, and it's Cornelius' men. And they say, hey, we're here to take you to our boss because God wants you to talk to him. And so Peter says, okay, I got a vision too. I'll go. So they travel 30 miles away. It's a two-day trip on, feet, on foot. They travel to Cornelius' house in the city of Caesarea. And when Peter gets there, he walks into this large home that is full of Gentiles. It's not just Cornelius and his immediate family. It's full of Gentiles, and Peter is extremely uncomfortable. Remember, he's been taught since he was a boy, you don't associate with Gentiles, you don't get around Gentiles, they're off limits, don't have anything to do with them. And he walks into this house crowded, full of Gentiles, and Peter is extremely uncomfortable, and look at how he responds. First thing he says to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him, but God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. He's not real gung-ho here, is he? He basically walks in and says, hey, I don't want to be here. I've been taught all my life not to be here. This makes me feel really, really uncomfortable, but God's told me I need to be here. You ever been there? You ever been in the midst of doing something for God, and you want to clarify, hey, I really don't want to do this, God, but I'm doing it because you said for me to do it? That's Peter here. Peter's not real gung-ho, but he's obedient. And so he starts to tell the people about Jesus. And Peter is about to realize something. He's about to realize that he has grossly underestimated the extent of God's love. He's about to realize in a very powerful way that God's heart beats for all people everywhere. And, so, and sometimes in order for us to do what God is asking us to do, we've got to unlearn what we've always known. Have you ever wondered why? Let's hit pause here on our story just for a second. Have you ever wondered why the angel didn't just tell Cornelius about Jesus? Remember, God sent an angel in a vision to tell Cornelius to send for Peter. Why didn't the angel just tell him about Jesus? Why did he say, go send for Peter and Peter will tell you about Jesus? Have you ever heard somebody say, you know, I wish that God would just talk to me directly. Well, here's the opportunity. There is literally an angel speaking to Cornelius who could have told him about Jesus. Probably preached a better sermon than Peter. And yet that's not how God wanted it to play out because in God's infinite wisdom, he decided that the best way to change the world, the best way to unleash the good news of his son on the world was for the church, us, you and me, to go out and to reach people who are far from Jesus and tell them about Jesus. It has been God's plan since the beginning of the church that he would use us, you and me, to go out and reach those who are far from his son. And we see this happening over and over again in the book of Acts. Remember the story of the Ethiopian eunuch, Acts chapter 3? He's sitting in his, Acts chapter 8, he's sitting in his chariot, and as he's reading God's word, he's reading from the scroll of Isaiah, he doesn't understand what it means, and so what does God's spirit do? He sends, the spirit sends Philip, an early church leader, to go and explain to the Ethiopian eunuch what he's reading. Again, God chooses to send his people to tell those who are far from his son about his son. What about Saul of Tarsus, who later became the apostle Paul? Saul of Tarsus 
Tarsus was on the road to Damascus, and Jesus appears to him in a vision. And here's the thing. Even though Jesus appears to Saul in a vision, Jesus doesn't try to convert Saul. Instead, Jesus says, instead, Jesus says, Saul, go on into the city, and there's a man, named, man there named Ananias who's one of my followers, and he'll tell you about me. Why wouldn't Jesus just preach to him? Because in God's infinite wisdom, he decided the best way to change the world was to use you and me. And here's the thing, that blows me away. Because I know how imperfect I am, I know how weak I am, and I don't have a lot of confidence in myself, but apparently God does. You may look at yourself and say, I'm not much, I don't have a lot of abilities and skills. God has confidence in you. He decided that the best way to change the world was by using you and me. But here's the thing, we've got to catch the wind. Because faith doesn't come just by seeing, as some people believe. The Bible teaches that faith comes by hearing. So faith comes from hearing the good news, and people hear the good news when someone tells them about Christ, Romans 10, 17. That means we've got to get busy. Oh, people can observe our faith, but they're never going to actually know who Jesus is unless we talk to them about him, unless we introduce them to Jesus. I think it's also interesting that God sends Peter to Cornelius because there was somebody else in the city of Caesarea who could have told Cornelius about Jesus. Remember Philip that I just mentioned who converted the Ethiopian eunuch? He was also the one who first converted the Samaritan people. Philip was an outstanding preacher. We read about him in the book of Acts. And he lived in the city of Caesarea at this time. He had a family there. He lived across the street, basically. Wouldn't it have been easier for God to send Philip across the street to go and talk to Cornelius and his household rather than send for Peter 30 miles away, a two-day journey? Apparently, Peter needed Cornelius as much as Cornelius needed Peter. Because for some time, Peter hadn't been preaching something that he wasn't practicing. And it just reminds me of this key truth. God continues to work on us even as he's working through us. God had been doing a great work through the life of Peter. But it doesn't, that didn't mean he wasn't finished working in Peter's life. Didn't mean he wasn't finished working on Peter. And we should never get to the point where we think we've arrived spiritually, where we think our faith is good to go. We should have confidence and assurance of our salvation, but we should always want to be growing and letting God continue to change us every day to be more and more like his son. So Peter tells the people about Jesus. We're back in Acts chapter 10. And as he's telling the people about Jesus, you know what happens? God intercedes. God sends down his spirit on Cornelius and all of his household in a special, unique way. And those people who were present in Cornelius' household started to speak about Jesus in other languages, foreign languages that they did not previously know. The same thing that happened years ago on the day of Pentecost when the church began. And so Peter is watching this happen, and he realizes, hey, this is what happened back on Pentecost. And on Pentecost, it was a sign that the good news of Jesus is for everyone, and we've kind of lost sight of that. And now in this moment, I'm looking at these Gentiles who I previously didn't want to be around, but now God is sending his spirit on them, and they're doing the same thing now that happened to us back on Pentecost. And Peter's heart is convicted, and he realizes, I've missed it. I've missed the boat. God's been pushing me in this direction, and I've been resisting. I've been stubborn. And Peter in this moment, as he is cut to the heart, says out loud to everyone in the house, he says these words, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? Remember back in Acts 2.38? 
Peter said, repent and be baptized for what reason? For the forgiveness of your sins and for the gift of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Peter here is saying, these people can be made clean before God as well. And these people can have God living within them as well, just like we have him living within us. Who's to stop them? I'm not gonna stop them. If God wants them as part of his family, I want them part of his family as well. And so let me ask you, what's keeping you from catching the wind today? What's keeping you from going where God wants you to go? Maybe you already are a follower of Jesus. You've been following him for years, but you're not, you know there's something keeping you from going where God fully wants you to go. You've been resisting. You've been a little bit stubborn, maybe even selfish. And you haven't been catching the wind like he wants you to catch it. Or maybe today you've never accepted Jesus. Maybe, maybe you've never decided to fully surrender your life to him. What's keeping you from being baptized today? What's keeping you from surrendering your life to him so that he can take you on a journey of a lifetime with him? You can be made clean before him and you can have his spirit living within you. What's keeping you from accepting his spirit today? What's keeping you from having a saving relationship with him? What is it for you? What biases, prejudices, traditions, assumptions, selfish pursuits, personal comforts, you name it. What is it right now? It's keeping you. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's some type of hurt. What is it right now that's keeping you from catching the wind? Don't let it keep you from catching the wind anymore because Jesus came to find you where you are and bring you back home. One of my kids' favorite games in all the world is hide and seek, but they're not very good at it. In fact, the other night we were playing, and I took a picture of this scene because I thought it was hilarious. This is Alex, my son. He's counting up against the wall, and here's Addie hiding. She just fell down to the ground, and that was her hiding spot. She's not very good at it, but let me ask you, what's the point of hide and seek? It's not to hide. We say that, but it's not really. The point of hide and seek is to be found. Because what's the fun of it if you are never found? Do you know anybody out there right now who says, hey, it's been 20 years and I've still never been found. They're still looking for me. That's no fun. That's dumb, right? The point of hide and seek is to be found. And let me just tell you, if you've been hiding right now, I know something because I've been here too. I know something about you. You really want to be found. You like Cornelius, you know there's a void right now in your soul and your heart. You're missing something. And I want to let you know Jesus came to find you. He came to bring you home and give you what you've been longing for. Today we're going to end our service in a special way. We're going to end with the Lord's Supper. And as we do, if you already follow Jesus and you come and you partake of the Lord's Supper, the ushers are going to dismiss you by rows as we've been doing, and you can take the elements back to your seat, and you can pray at that moment and focus on God. And as you do, if there's anything right now that is keeping you from catching the wind, Turn that thing over to Jesus because Jesus died so that you wouldn't have to be enslaved to it anymore. Don't let anything keep you from catching the wind. But today, during this time of communion, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'm gonna be down front. We're gonna have some staff members down front as well. And if you feel like that you need to stop hiding today, we're here to let you know Jesus wants to find you. And he wants to bring you home. And he wants to give you the life that you were created to live. So today, during this time that we have of communion, if you want to come down front, if you don't want somebody just to pray with you, or maybe you want to talk about being baptized today, we'd be happy to talk to you about that. The wind is blowing. Don't miss it. Don't hide from it. Catch it today. 
because Jesus wants to take you on a journey of a lifetime with him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for today. And right now I pray for this room and those who are watching online. I pray if there is anybody right now who is resisting the wind, that they will stop in this moment. If they're already following you, Father, may, may they turn over whatever it is that is keeping them from fully keeping in step with your spirit. They will turn that over to you today as they partake of the Lord's Supper. And they will know that you died so that whatever that is won't have to enslave them or hold them back anymore. Father, I pray for those in the room or maybe who are at home who don't know you or maybe they know you, but they haven't surrendered their lives fully to you. Father, if they're in the room today, I pray that they come down forward, they talk to me or one of our leaders who are gonna be down front. May they catch the wind today and be part of your family, part of your kingdom today and have that saving relationship with you. And Father, if they're at home, I pray that they reach out on our online hub, contact our church. We'd love to talk to them about what they need to do. Father, I just pray that your spirit move in this place today in a powerful way. And may he not just move, but may we catch it and move with him. In the name of Jesus, I pray.